it is 2024. Time is moving on whether you're with it or not. Have you figured that out? And while time is moving forward, I think the question is, are we? Are we just wasting time and burning time? We want to challenge you as a church family to make the most out of this year by engaging in God's Word. As you come through the holidays, it's amazing all the energy that we pour in to the holidays from Thanksgiving on. And it's about family, it's about gathering, it's about gifting, it's about uh, time away. It's about, and we put all this energy into the holidays and then we come off of Christmas with kind of like this adrenaline crash. Have you noticed that? When we begin a new year, we, we aspire to new things for a new year, but to be real honest, we're just kind of recovering from the holidays. And if you're not careful, you can waste this month called January or you can start off a new year moving forward in your faith. And so as you came in today, I hope you picked up one of the packets. If you haven't seen our 511 packet, a roadmap, a Bible uh, at home roadmap, we want to make sure you get one before you leave today. You can find them in the lobby. And I'll be unpacking that over the next three weeks, what this emphasis is, what it might mean for your journey. Now, language is made up of words. And without words, we can't communicate. It's fascinating to me that the English language has more words in it than most languages on the planet. There are a few others that may have a few more words, but we rank at the very top with the most words in our vocabulary. In the dictionary, uh, anybody want to guess? You don't have to guess out loud. Try to guess how many words we are actively using in the English language today. Uh, what would you think would be the number of entries in the English dictionary? Well, for some of you, if you were like me, you had to write those out on a regular basis, right? The words and the definitions because you were in trouble. 170,000 words in our language that are active. They tell us there's another 47,000 words that are obsolete, but this generation is making up new words, right? And bringing a new vocabulary. When I was a youth pastor here at the church, I used to love to make up words. I would uh, engage people at schools when we were on school campus or in restaurants, and I would try to have conversations with made-up words just to see if they'd go along to get along. I'd ask them if they had a copy of the Odin Galities for their particular establishment based on the fact that my forflex had broken down and I was trying to find somebody who could dot give them a holiday through the... And I'd just make up these words. And they'd look at me and they'd think, we're having a conversation, but one wouldn't have me. Then one of my classics was I would use words that actually existed, but people who thought they knew the words really didn't know the words. Let me give you an example. You can do this today at lunch. I don't recommend it. I can't do it as a pastor anymore because they might come to church. But I'd often ask my waitress, it was usually a waitress, at a restaurant. She would bring our water. She'd get ready to take our orders. And I'd say, ma'am, thank you uh, for the water, but I, I am allergic to hydrogen. Do you know if you have hydrogen in your water? And she'd look at me, and she'd never been asked that question before. And she didn't know what to do with the question, what's the answer? Does anybody know? Yes, there's hydrogen in all water. H2O is what you should have learned in school. Everyone, 100%, over the years, 100% of them had to go ask the manager. I never had one say, sir, I think you have issues. Now, they were probably thinking that, but they never said it. They all went and checked with the manager. Guess what the manager did? The manager either sent back, we don't know, or had to call somebody else. You see, my point in that is, there are words that we can be familiar with, 
And there are words we think we can know, and we still don't get it. Well, same can be true with God's Word. We know the Bible exists. You know some verses. You've memorized them. You're familiar with them. You could probably all quote John 3.16 with me. But do you know the Word? Our language, our words are very complicated. Look at this word. This word actually exists in our language. Now, I want you to study that word for a little bit. I want you to phonetically break it down like they taught you in school. And you're going to, in three seconds... Turn to your neighbor, and you're going to do your best to pronounce that word. Ready? Look at it. Practice. Turn to somebody and say that word to them right now. It is a word in your language. Starting to sound like a charismatic church. Let me bring us back there just a little bit. Maybe we need to have a prayer time because I think somebody just cussed, all right? I'm not sure. Uh, That is a tough word, and you can try to say that all day long. You now turn your page over and spell that word. You can't spell it. You can't say it. And I bet, I hope you haven't Googled it yet, I bet you don't even know what that word means. Anybody know what that word means? It's one of the words in the dictionary. It is one of the words of our language. That word exists. That word means, I'll give you a hint, it's a noun. Did that help anybody? This word means it is the action or habit of estimating something as worthless. The word defined itself. That is the most worthless word in our language. Why does it exist? Who came up with that word? We don't need it. It is worthless. Well, unfortunately, what if I told you that the word of God may be just as useless in your life. You might be able to spell Bible. You might have one. Matter of fact, Gallup tells us from years ago that majority of American households had at least one Bible. 90% or more had one Bible. This was 20 years ago. And that out of those, they had on average four Bibles. And now all of you should have one on your digital device. You have access to the word. But like the word hydrogen, you may not know what that word really is all about or what that means or what it could mean in your life. And so we want to challenge you. We want to challenge you to get into God's word and to let God's word get into you, to maximize each and every day. Uh, The YouVersion Bible app just released statistics showing that if people do that, it radically changes their life. I'll get to that in just a moment. And what we also want you to see is that as you get in the Word, here's the challenge. It comes from our family marriage ministry team. It's called 511. It's not I-35. I-35, you'd have no roadmap for help. This is Word 511. What does that mean? Well, the 5 in 511 represents a challenge that you personally would spend at least five days a week in God's Word. We're not asking you to read the whole Bible in a year. We're not asking you to read for an hour a day. We're just saying take every day and spend the first part of your day at least in some of the passage of Scripture, some of the verses of Scripture. That might be reading the book of John. It might be a proverb a day. It might be a proverb with a psalm a day. It might be another book of the Bible you're studying. It could be uh, a devotional book that you find online, on your phone, or in a bookstore. It might be something you're doing through one of the ministries of our church in small groups or whatever. 
But spending time not reading the Bible, but letting God speak to you through his word. That might be a few verses a day. That might be a chapter a day. But taking time to let God's word come alive in you. The one in 511, the one is one day a week, connect with a family member. That could be a spouse, that could be a sibling, that could be a parent. And if you don't have a family member, you could be a single adult here. You would do that with uh, maybe a member of the family of God, somebody in your small group, somebody, a friend who's an accountability partner. And one day a week, reflect on what God has taught you in the past week. The last one, 511, is that once a week you would somehow engage with family. Now, if family lived far away, you would dialogue either through email or FaceTime, and you would connect with family just to be iron sharpening iron on the home front. It's called 511. Why this challenge? I'm going to prove to you from Scripture in a minute, but I can prove it to you statistically. It is proven that when we spend time in the Word of God, it leads us to an abundant life. And when we don't live in the Word of God, we find that destruction happens quite often in our life. I told you about the YouVersion app. They tell us that anyone who spends at least four days a week in Scripture, they will be 59% less likely to view pornography. They'll be 74% less likely to gamble away their resources. 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. 228% more likely to share their faith. And 231% more likely to disciple other people. They also found that they were 30% less, um, statistically, 30% less of them were struggling with loneliness, discouragement, or depression. We can see that statistically, but I want to show you from the Word of God, why would we do this emphasis? Why would we encourage you to not burn another year, but to invest your time every day in God's Word? Let me ask you, how many days in 2023 could you say you spent in God's Word? Not just reading it, but letting God's Word speak to you. Would that show up on one hand? Would that show up on both hands? Do you have too many to count? Or do you have none to count? You see, we just burned a whole other year called 2023. And nothing's going to change in 2024 unless we change, unless we make this a priority. So let me show you the value of that. Let me, I, I showed you statistically. Let me show it to you in Scripture now. Take your Bibles and go to Hezekiah 3.16. Go to Hezekiah chapter 3, verse 16. If you're there, say, uh-huh. And if you're still looking, that just shows why you need to be in the Bible. Hezekiah is not in your Bible, all right? Now, that name is there, but there's no Hezekiah chapter 3. That was a test. That was to prove to you. You need the challenge, all right? It sounds like it should be there, shouldn't it, right? Hezekiah 3.16. Let me make it easy for you. Go to Genesis. Will that help? Go to Genesis. It's in the Bible. It's the very first book. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Here's what I'm going to show you. From the very beginning of time, the same struggle that happened when the very first humans took the first breath on this planet is the same challenge you and I have as we take breath on this planet. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. If you're there, say uh-huh. Everybody should be there. Uh-huh. Verse 1, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You need to know that. You won't hear this at school, guys. I'm sorry. You're going to hear other stuff. 
You're going to hear that you came from apes, you came from this kind of oozy stuff that was in a swamp and all of a sudden it got electrified and uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. No, in the beginning God created you, he created this earth, he created everything. You say, well that's in an old antique book called the Bible, we're more evolved than that, we have more knowledge today, that's a fairy tale, wrong. And you will learn that through life. You may not learn it in books at school. You will learn this through life, that this is the truth, the word from a holy God who created you. In the beginning, he created this earth was formless. It was void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God was bored, and so he did send a lightning bolt to zap a bunch of swampy ooze, and all of a sudden, amoeba came out. I don't know how they're saying it these days. Wrong. Watch verse 3, underline it, first phrase. Then God, what? Said. He simply spoke. He declared it to be, and he spoke it into existence. God said, let there be light. There was light. Matter of fact, we're going to see in Scripture that the only reason anything exists is because of God's word it started with the first word when God said. Go down to verse 6. Then God, you're going to see a theme here. God what? Said. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. Go down to verse 9. Next day of creation. God's going to create again. Guess what? Then God what? Said. Go to verse 11. Next day of creation. Starts the same way. Then God said. Go to verse 14. Then God said, and there were lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate night and day. Verse 20. Then God said, next day, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth. And it was so. Verse 24. Then God said. Verse 26. Then God said. Every day of creation, when something new became a part of this earth, it was because God's word declared it. Nothing came into being and nothing has been that God has not declared through his word. Hold your place in Genesis, or actually you can find that one pretty easy. Go over to Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Writer of Hebrews says this. This is powerful. This is why we're doing the challenge. And this is why we shouldn't even be bringing a challenge. We should already be doing this every day because of this truth. Look at it in verse 3. He, capital H, speaking of Jesus. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things through the what? Word. Through the word of his power. Look at that verse. Dig in on that for a moment. and Look at that last phrase. He is the one who created all things. We saw that last week. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And through the word, all things came into being. All things have been created by him, through him, and for him. And then we find the writer of Hebrews says, and know this, the only way everything is held together, it was first created by his word, and it's held together by his what? Word. Jesus spoke everything into existence, and here we find Jesus holds everything together. And so what is true If the word holds it all together, what happens if we're not in the word? What's going to happen? 
it all falls apart. Oh, you might find fun for a season. You might enjoy that moment outside in your own pleasure, doing it your own way outside the word of God. But as soon as you step out and away from it, everything begins to fall apart. Why? Because it's all held together. It was created first through his word and it is held together by his word. That's why we must be in his word. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. God spoke all of it into existence. He created life. He created this earth. And he created mankind. And he placed humans on this planet. And then the first thing God did is he created Disney World. No. Nintendo. No. The web. No. The first thing God did Verse 28, God bless them and check out what he does next. And God said to them, he gave them his word. He just didn't create them and turn them loose and say, hey, enjoy paradise. Enjoy all of this. And, and, and he did, but he did more than that. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, he said more. Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. To every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky and to everything. And God declared to them purpose and design. God spoke it into existence. And then God showed them how to exist. He just didn't turn them loose and say, hey, figure it out, have a good time. He gave them divine direction. And God has done the same for your life. Here's the problem. The problem is the same problem that happened in the garden. You're in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God continued to speak. In verse 15, this account in chapter 2, it talks about God taking the man, Adam, putting him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it. There's his purpose, to have dominion, to exist, to walk with God, to experience God and his glory. And then verse 16, the Lord God spoke again. And this time he creates holy boundaries. He creates for them holy design and life that's abundant, but life that is divinely guided. And he says to them, from any tree of the garden you can eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. In other words, if you don't live according to my word, if you desire to live outside of my word and my design, your life is going to unfold. It's going to fall apart. Because I designed it and I know how it best works. So from the beginning of time, God gave us his word. He gave us his word to bless us, to purpose us, and to keep us safe, to have abundant life. And then you drop down to verse 18, and then Lord God said again, he spoke again, said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. And so God takes Adam, he gives him a paradise, and then he creates the family. He gave him his word he gave him his family. He gave him a purpose. And God gave man everything he needed for the abundant life. And man gave it all up for a lie. And what Adam did in the garden, 
you and I can do in Oklahoma City or wherever you live each and every day. We can either embrace his word and be blessed by it and have abundant life, or we can live life how we think we need to live life and watch it fall apart. Watch it fall apart, Genesis chapter 3. You know the story, but keep it in line with the theme. Verse 1, don't let the familiar blind you. Dig in and watch what's happening. From the very beginning of human existence, the challenge for God's word. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. There is no cat on this planet that could touch the enemy. There's no snake that could outduel what perceived and showed up in the form, supposedly, of the snake. No beast of the field was more crafty than him. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God what? Said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. As we look in on this attack, we find Satan's strategy. You see, Satan hates God, and he hates God's creation. He hates God's word and he hates God's declarations. He is anti-Christ. And the only way that he can seek to even attack the Lord is to do that through his creation. And so he comes to attack you through his demonic forces every single day. And how can he destroy you, God's creation? The same way he did in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. To rob you from God's protection. What is God's protection? His word. If he can get you out of the word, if he can rob you of the word, if he can twist the word, if he can get you to misunderstand or misapply the word, he watches your life unfold. That is his desire for you. Notice his nature. He's crafty. He's crafty. He didn't come in with fangs bearing and attack him like a lion and rip him to shreds and then it had been done. No, he came at them subtly. He came at them in their minds. He robbed them moment by moment, thought by thought, conversation by conversation, and he started with the attack on the word. That's his strategy. Your enemy is crafty. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He is a destroyer. But he can't be those things if you are in the word. He can only be those things in your life if you're living outside the word. So notice his strategy. He's got to get you out of the word. He's got to get you away from the word. So first thing is he gets you to begin to question it. He starts, did God really say what you think he said? The culture. The culture is always coming at and saying, did the Bible really, does God really say this about marriage, about life, about your sexuality, about your relationships, about your future, about your decision? Really? Or is that not a antiquated book and fables of old did God really say let me ask you this question do you know what God has said if you were looking for Hezekiah a little while ago you may not be as familiar with the word as you think you are do you know what God has said about marriage guys you know what God has said about dating you know what God has said about gossip you know what God has said about your material possessions? You know what God has said about where joy really comes from? Do you know how to make a right decision? Do you know what wisdom really looks like? God's word has touched on all that. And Satan has spent all of human history twisting it and robbing us of God's word. 
Don't let the enemy rip you off in 2024. I want to encourage you to say, God, daily, I'm going to spend some time. I'm not asking you to spend hours. I'm asking you to spend time every day in the Word. Why? Because you, when you know the truth, the truth will always, what? Set you free. Let me take you to our theme verse. The good news is we're almost done. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua. It's in the Bible. It's not a trick. Joshua. Find it. Now, you may be familiar with the name Joshua. Let me tell you about Joshua. Joshua is a hero of the faith. Joshua lived differently than most of the people in his day. And even among the people of God, he was extraordinary. Matter of fact, he was one of the 12 spies that were selected. Each tribe of the 12 tribes, Moses said, I need spies to go out and see how we can take the land God's given us. 12 spies went out. A spy from each group was elected. His tribe picked Joshua. They went out and they saw the land. They saw the glory of it, the beauty of it. They brought back examples. But they also, many of them brought back a bad report. Ten of them said, we can't do it. There's giants in the land. You see, they were living their life apart from God's word. They were living their life. They were the people of God. They were doing what God wanted them to do, but they weren't living according to the word. God had already said, this is the land I've given you. God had already said that. Ten of them forgot it. Ten of them lived according to what they saw with their physical eyes. And they came back, and the Bible says they gave a bad report. Why? Because it wasn't according to the word. It was according to their understanding. Things fell apart for the people of God for a season because they listened to a bad word instead of the word. They listened to ten instead of the two. You know who the two were that came back with a good report? One was Caleb. The other one was Joshua. Why did they bring a good report? Because they lived according to the word of God. Yeah, there were giants in the land. Yeah, there were challenges in the land. But what are those giants? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can keep us from God's will? If God has said it's ours, it's ours. Let's just go get it. The people listened to the one living outside the word and everything fell apart for Israel. Joshua, why was Joshua able to live different than his peers? What allowed him to experience a good report and the favor of God in his life? Why was he successful in becoming the next leader of Israel? to actually take people in the promised land. God gave him favor because he lived according to the word of God. You know how he did it? He gives us the secret sauce in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law, that's all they had at that time, what we now know as the law. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it at least two or three times a year. At least at Christmas and Easter. On your birthday, maybe. Or at the beginning of a new year for a season. Spend some time in God's Word. Is that what Joshua says? He says, you shall meditate on it when? Day and night. Not just certain days. Not just on holy holidays. Every day. And not just a little quiet time in the morning. But notice he says, you're... You're going to experience life. You better be in the Word and you better start your day and end your day there. Because if you don't, 
You'll spend your day in this world and you'll end this day in this world and you'll end your day messed up in this world. Or you can meditate on it day and night. You'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it and then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. I don't think anybody wants to go into 2024 and say, you know, 2023, there were some good things. There were some challenging things. There were some great things. You know, and frankly, I'm just learning life's tough. So 2024, I hope I lose. I hope I'm unsuccessful. I hope life's... Anybody going there? Your thinker might be, but nobody wants to go there. Well, how are you going to have a successful 2024? Joshua tells you. God's word tells you. It may sound old-fashioned, it may sound antiquated to you, but it's life-giving. You have life because he spoke life into being. You can have an abundant life if you will live according to what God has spoken into being, his will. And if we would get back to that day and night, you would be a different person, we would be a different church, and this would be a different city. You would have a different marriage, you'd have a different family, you'd have a different future. Because his word is a lamp unto your path. That word success there is an interesting word. You break it down in the Hebrew, it's not like our English word for success. We probably translate the wrong word here. I mean, it's similar, but it's, it's not expressive enough. That word for success, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it literally means the ability to understand what is before you and to make the right call. Called wisdom and discernment. That was the de definition of success for Joshua. If I can know the right thing to do, if I can do the right thing, I will get the right results, result. My life will prosper. Maybe not like the world calls prospering, but I can have abundant life that brings glory to God and really makes a difference. Don't settle for artificial turf. Don't settle for artificial life but find it in God's word. So the challenge, if you leave today, you can get the kit. Uh, it's a packet, looks a little bit like this. This is what the cover of it looks like, 511. Inside that packet, if you didn't get one, you'll find it in the lobby. Inside that packet are all kinds of different menu recipe cards and, and things to encourage you. You'll open it up and next slide, you'll see this uh, uh, first part of the brochure when you open it up. And in there, you'll find a suggested roadmap, time with God's word. And at the bottom, you'll see an acrostic called STEP. That's something that our associate pastor, Drew, has brought to us. It's similar to one-on-one uh, -on -one with God where we ponder and we're picturing and we're praying. But in STEP, you are every time taking a small passage of scripture. And the S stands for that. You're in the scripture. What is the scripture saying? Look at it. Underline it, mark it, study it. Let God speak to you those words. Ask God, what are you saying and why did you say it this way? Let God speak through the S. The T is, what truth can I learn from this? What's God saying to me? What do I need to apply to my life? E, exercise. What can I do? Thank you, guys. That's pretty clever. What can I do to live out this truth? It's not enough to store it in my head. I've got to live it in my life. And then the P is, Praying about it with God, dialoguing. 
Don't let just God power dump facts to you, to your head. Talk to God about what he's saying. Talk to God about what that means in your life. Have a holy dialogue. Do that day and night, and I promise you, you'll have a different 2024. Amen? Does that make sense? The battle has always been for the word. Next week, I'm going to prove to you the vitality and the importance of having that word in your heart every single day. But it starts today. It starts with a decision. I'm going to live this year differently. I'm going to live this year a Joshua 1-8 mentality. 